We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy dropped Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Time to overreact to preseason games. <laughs> a yearly tradition here on the podcast and in Is the NBA the world. Is the sky falling? <laughs> you came exactly. to the right place to find out. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I hope not. My name is Mike, of course. Sam, how are you doing? Hey, um, I've been better uh, jaw throbbing a little bit on one side because I just got a couple wisdom teeth removed a few, few days ago. But in good shape to talk now. Um, we, we felt we had to come at you guys with an episode tonight because it's been a week obviously we were hoping for <laughs> a better outcome especially you know when it was confirmed mike that chris paul was playing tonight yeah uh in the second game against the utah jazz here in preseason second game of preseason i was very excited um very excited to see what he could do even you know once we learned that jay crowder was going to be out Dario sarge was still out you know it would cam johnson it would be a bit of a funky rotation um, man, a, a lot of stuff fell apart. Do you have any serious takeaways after two games that you have to get off your chest? Yeah, uh, I think the main, main, main takeaway I have after those two games is that if the Suns play without Dario Saric, uh, Cameron Johnson, uh, Cameron Payne, and Chris Paul, they're probably not going to win a lot of games <laughs> without those guys. I mean, that's the most important takeaway. Look, there's there's other things, of course, to analyze based on the stuff that actually happened on the court. But the main thing is don't expect too much when four or five rotation guys, t- today at least four, are missing from the rotation. There's not a lot to take away from that because, I mean, these are actual rotation. They're real actual rotation pieces. And the Suns, they, if they miss are missing any of them, that's going to be a problem. That, that's my main takeaway. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, look. It, preseason losses don't bother me. Um, a 14-point loss and a 19-point loss, 
that's a little bit demoralizing. <laughs> I'm not yeah. gonna lie. And and the rotations have just been a little bit interesting. I think it's really unfortunate that just there was this unfortunate timing of injuries like to have jay crowder and cam johnson and dario sarge all out tonight mm-hmm. really wiped out your forward rotation in a way that the suns yeah. could not afford jalen smith tried his best to play power forward and i think he was good at a lot of things but i think there were other things that he simply could not bring um that a guy like cam johnson would have tonight right. and so right. you know i like i would start there um, with other guys, it was a lack of engagement, a lack of motor. Um, maybe that's that's where we go next. Uh, I think there's a couple obvious names that I was talking about there. And then just structurally, like, you know, once it got to the bench, we saw the minutes without Chris Paul or Devin Booker on the floor tonight were a disaster. Um, and that's been my fear all along, right? It's like, you've got these guys, you've got these, in theory, sharpshooters, um, like Langston Galloway and Etwan Moore. Langston Galloway has looked a lot more like a sharpshooter than Etwan Moore in the first two games. Um, but it's just a question of can anyone actually really put the ball on the floor and create when those two guys aren't on the floor, um, Booker and Paul. And uh, we didn't really see evidence of that tonight, which was a little bit scary. And even when campaign played in game one, it was pretty bad in in my opinion. So, well, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just mean, for campaign's sake. He is a backup point guard, not a starting point guard. No, so I even just putting him in that position was kind of putting him in a difficult position at the very least. No, right. You're right. And and, and look, I, I'm not drawing any serious conclusions from these first two games. Yes, that's, back a, at it. It, that's where we should start. That's that's <laughs> obviously where we're starting this conversation. Yeah. Um, they're back at it in action um, on Wednesday against the Lakers. I'll be interested to see that. But look, mostly this is a conditioning thing, I think, for a lot of these guys right now. You yeah. had a shortened training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, you're playing at a high altitude in Utah. That might make some difference for these first two games, not exactly yeah. being in your element. Um, and just so many of these guys who who have to kind of adjust on the fly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, let's just say based on what we've seen the first two games, they, they kind of have a long way to go. And I think it's fair to say... This is preseason, this is preseason, this is preseason. But also, there's a lot of new faces on this team. And there's no, you know, it's a shortened offseason. There's no summer league, which hurts for the younger guys. And, and, you know, guys like Tyshawn and Jalen Smith particularly. And it's sort of a rushed training camp to preseason schedule. Not a lot of time to work on things between now and the regular season. And plus, only four preseason games. So, yes, it's just preseason. But also, there are things that you want to look for in these first four games, the main thing being continuity with the main rotation pieces. The fact that we can't see that is a problem. They're not going to be super great when you take away a lot of the good players on the team. Like, I think one of the main things that has been underscored by these games is the importance of Dario Saric alone. Because Absolutely. you take Dario Saric out of the rotation, you lose playmaking, you lose a competent big man, and you lose a guy that just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I think that's an important thing to point out because a lot of the younger guys, a lot of the new guys, as good as they ha- can be, as much potential as they do have, when you put them in a position that's maybe a little bit beyond their capabilities, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. Dario Saric is essentially a guy that is in a position that is sort of beneath his capabilities, being that mm-hmm. he probably could start on a lot of teams and he's going to be coming off the bench for this team, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure yet. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the Suns scored. There were problems with the offense all over tonight, but the Suns scored 15 points in the first quarter. And the way the first yeah. quarter was structured, it was kind of like Chris Paul played the first four minutes, then Devin Booker played another three or four after that. But yeah. for the final four or so minutes, maybe four or five of that quarter, it was just neither Paul nor Booker. And Damian Jones was in the game. Bless his heart. Damian Jones did his <laughs> best. to. I mean, he basically, you know, he's a big guy. He jumps high. Uh, he ran back and forth. And he didn't really have any sort of impact on the game outside of that. And I was just trying to envision, I was like, man, this would be a great time for Dario Sarge to soak up some of those center minutes. Like, do you lose some rim protection? Maybe, arguably. But but overall, just the value of having a guy there at the top of the key who's not afraid to put the ball on the floor, to find cutters and, and see those passing lanes. The Suns needed something like that uh, when Paul and Booker weren't on the floor, especially without campaign. Yeah. And tonight, they just could not find it. Uh, Langston Galloway had another good game. He's had two two good games in a row. He had 14 points tonight on 5 of 10 shooting. But we see he's just not really much of a dribble attack threat. 
Um, he's right. mostly a guy who's going to spot up, and he seems to be very good in that role so far. Um, but outside of that, he's just not going to provide you much. Also, you know, the other place we're seeing this rear its head, Mike, the free throw disparity tonight, yeah. I think is a very interesting thing to talk about. The Jazz, yeah. 41 free throw attempts, Phoenix with 15. And, <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of comical how bad right. that is. And again, like, Again, it's preseason. We know it doesn't matter, but it kind of does matter because structurally you kind of look at the way this team is is built and you're like, oh, wow. After Paul and Booker, like unless Aiton kind of mans up and and gets himself to the line and throws his body at someone, they really don't have anyone on this roster who who can get to the free throw line. And and that's going to be a problem. You might see a lot of games like this. Yeah. The, The best way to get to the free throw line is moving towards the basket. That's the main thing. And that usually means dribbling. Uh, and, I mean, how many guys are we comfortable really doing that uh, on this team? You have Chris Paul. You have Devin Booker. Uh, DeAndre, and I am personally comfortable with him doing that. I just hope that he becomes more comfortable doing that uh, going forward. And then I'm not really sure after that. I think Cameron Payne is probably the next guy on that yep. list. Mikhail Bridges has you know gotten a little bit better at that. Uh, but there's no guys that you would be 100% confident doing that 10 times a game. I mean, Ubre's gone. Ultimately, this is this is one of the things with Ubre being gone that is now missing. I mean, that's something that he was great at to a fault <laughs> in a lot of cases with Kelly Ubre. If he's not getting the calls, it can be a little bit ugly to watch. Uh, but you know, you you tend to appreciate that type of thing when you don't have it as much. Not necessarily a problem. I think this offense could be very very good even without that but it's important for the guys to all be there and in their position something you talked about Langston Galloway not really being able to create for others well that's because he's not supposed to right that's not really what he's supposed to do in this specific lineup in these specific preseason games he's sort of forced to kind of do that and uh, yeah you're not going to see it a lot because you want him to catch the ball and launch it if he's got any space at all because it's a really fast shot and it looks great and actually we should start there Let's talk about things that we liked so far, and then we'll get into some things that maybe some overall thoughts on what we le- what we're learning about the team, and also maybe what they need to work on, which I think is an important conversation too. First thing I want to say that I like, obviously Chris Paul, <laughs> has been incredible, and obvi- obviously it was just this one game, so we haven't gotten a lot of it, and he played limited minutes. None of this is something I'm worried about, by the way. Uh, Chris Paul will be fine. Ultimately, things work around him, and that means that when he's in the game, it's going to be fine, even if he hasn't played a ton with the guys. If he, if he's surrounded by good NBA players, the team's going to look really good when he's on the floor. Uh, he started the game in this game with Jalen Smith, and that's tough. I'll be honest. It's tough. As good as he's looked, and we should talk about him too, Sure. as fun as he's been, to expect to go against essentially the Jazz starting lineup, which is a bona fide playoff team with a rookie who didn't even get summer league, it's going to be tough. You're, you're going to have some trouble there. Jalen Smith goes out. Chris Paul comes back in at the end of the second quarter. Now it's Javon Carter, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre, and, and then a few other guys were sort of in that other spot, Mikhail Bridges being the main one when they went on a run. And that was a team. You could see it. All of a sudden, when there's five bona fide NBA players on the floor with Chris Paul as one of those NBA players, things work a lot better. It started to look really smooth. He was able to find guys. He's so cerebral. He's so smart. His ability exactly. to, to be able to understand what's needed at every moment of the game is so obvious and so incredible and so beyond anyone that we've watched on this team since Steve Nash that it's just a joy to watch. And every time I think about the fact that we get to watch Chris Paul this season, I'm ecstatic. I'm really, really happy because basketball played at that level. There's only a few guys in the world that can do it, and he's one of those guys, and we get to watch him on a game-to-game basis. And he's sharing the court with Devin Booker, who was spectacular today. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, he look, he shot only two for seven tonight, so it wasn't an offensive masterpiece exactly, right. but his feel for the game was was instant. You could see it instantly. Um, when he checked back in, just like you were talking about in the second quarter, and the Suns really started to go on a run and, and kind of get things to be a little bit close <laughs> before it all fell apart in the third, um, 
he he really put an active emphasis on getting his teammates involved, specifically DeAndre Ayton. He found Ayton, I think, for like three straight layups uh, at one point and, and went on a run there. And, and again, just it was his feel for the game, his ability to slice through a defense and, and pick them apart possession after possession, pick and roll mm-hmm. after pick and roll. Um, we You're right. We haven't seen a player who can do that since Steve Nash. Certainly Ricky Rubio can't do that. Devin Booker, for all of the strides that he's made as a playmaker, he can't exactly do that either. Um, and then you see that Chris Paul kind of just like he he part of having that feel for the game. He goes through these stretches where he's just uh, he knows exactly what he wants to do. So like he had to get DeAndre Ayton involved at that point in the second quarter. The reason to do that, the motivation for doing so was that it in theory forces DeAndre to focus in a little bit more on the defensive end. If you're rewarding him on offense, giving him easy buckets, then when the transition defense wasn't there to start up the third quarter and the Suns fell behind by 10 or 15 points, we saw Chris Paul kind of engage into shot creating mode. And, and he went uh, on a few possession stretch of, uh, he didn't make all these shots, but he really tried to engage his offense a, a little bit more and create some shots for himself. And so you can sort of see that he kind of just like, has this remarkable ability to assess exactly what the offense needs in that given moment, whether it's him creating for his teammates or whether it's him looking for his own shot, just as Steve Nash used to do. Um, and then he he just caters to exactly what those needs are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought Chris Paul was the standout in this game, obviously. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean... Well, just one t- more thought on Chris Paul. I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. I just Go don't on. want to move on just quite yet. What we saw in this game was a microcosm of exactly how he can affect the game without racking up a bunch of stats. In that second quarter, all of a sudden, everything clicked. Everything looked better. The team was humming. And he still didn't do much. Like, it was just a few assists, a few shots, and that's really it. But everything worked a lot better because of his ability to affect the game. Commonly, he'll probably end the third quarter with, like, six or seven points. That's probably how it's going to look with him. But as the games come down the line, he's going to shoot a little bit more. He's going to understand how defenses are playing him and then be able to take advantage of the game in those scenarios once he sort of understands exactly how they're going to defend every single possession. So, you know, it's just a really cool thing to be able to see it because, you know, Chris Paul, I said it when we considered trading for him. He was ninth in Vorp. He was top nine in uh, win shares last season. But he only averaged really 17 points and and six assists. Like, it wasn't these eye-popping stats. And you could see exactly why in this game. He just understands the game at a higher level than other people. So I thought it was nice to see that because it was was easy to sort of understand how he's capable of affecting the game in so many ways. But yes, I'll let you go here. Uh, What else stood out to you as something that you enjoyed? Well, last thing I'll say there, interestingly, I'm looking at it now. Paul had six assists to, to just two turnovers, obviously very good. Devin Booker had a great game tonight, fantastic game. Had uh, 17 shot attempts and zero assists. Um, just kind of, it was not necessarily a bad thing, but just kind of shows you Chris Paul was really in the driver's seat on those pick and rolls tonight from the high screen position. Like he was the one who was finding DeAndre Ayton, not anybody else. And Devin Booker got to focus on, on really just being a scorer for the most part, which... Obviously, the Suns' offense needed tonight. Um, look, other things that I've noticed in the first two games, um, the shooters, particularly Langston Galloway, I think guys like Langston Galloway and Javon Carter and even Etuan Moore, who struggled, I think it's so easy to see the value that they bring already, but it's just the unfortunate thing. This is a positive and it's a negative. It's a positive because I think you put any of those guys next to Chris Paul or Devin Booker, and it's so easy to see the value that they add to that offense, the, the tangible value that they bring. But when you kind of just toss them all together in a three-guard lineup and are like, hey, look, we have three shooters out there. Go and do something. you know, And, and like none of them can really create any separation. That's when it falls apart. So that, that already sort of echoes back to what we were talking about. Um, before, But I think the positive way to spin that, though, is just like shooters abound on this roster. Like if you don't like a, a, a shot that Moore is going for, you pull him out and you put in Galloway. If you don't like the looks that Galloway is getting, you pull him out, you bring in Carter. And there's just all so many combinations and permutations um, throughout this roster of, of what you can pair with Booker and Paul to always get some clean looks from three. The Again, the only unfortunate thing tonight was... Galloway was, I think, literally the only volume shooter, like the only guy who goes out there and it's just like, okay, dude, your job is just to go out there and and take seven or eight of these in like 15 minutes. And if they had Cam Johnson out tonight, 
um, or even Jay Crowder, honestly, it would have gone a long way towards just developing the Suns' spacing as an offensive scheme. Like, the Suns took 28 threes out of 88 attempts. That's about 33% off the top of my head. Um, and the Jazz took 39 threes out of 75 attempts. That's over 50% of the Jazz's field goals were from um, were from three. So basically, the Jazz just played a much more modern offensive game, and that's yeah. kind of why you saw the Suns fall apart. Yeah, I mean, it helps to have like all your main guys. <laughs> I think is the main thing for the Jazz. I, I will say it does hurt particularly to lose to the Jazz. Wins and losses don't matter at all in preseason. Ultimately, they don't count towards your record. Nothing matters. The, the types of guys that are playing uh, minutes at the end of the game are guys named Motley and Tyshawn Alexander. They're not guys who are getting minutes in the regular season. Ultimately, hey, how about Motley, though? Hey, he, he tries. Was, he He tried. <laughs> he tries. I don't know he if he's keeping his roster spot. What did you think of Jalen Smith, the rookie? Yeah, let's. Uh, that's where I wanted to go next. I was just holding it for a second. Um, I like Jalen Smith. Me I too. really do. How do you How do you feel about him? I, well, I really like him. I think he looks like a guy who is not afraid of the moment. He, you know, for somebody who, like I said, we I, it should not be discounted that these rookies did not have summer league summer league matters a lot you start to put them against better competition ultimately i've described summer league i think it's even better than march madness obviously the teams don't play together as well but it's the best of the best of march madness those guys now playing against each other in a tournament over the summer and it's really fun to see those guys against each other because now the level of competition is now raised they're going directly from college essentially with a long break nine months basically to the NBA, and I think that type of jump from one place to the next is difficult. It's difficult, and I think he's handling it really well. Uh, starting is not exactly where I would want him to be this early in his career, <laughs> but it's preseason, and guys are healing up a little bit from training camp, so uh, fair's fair, but he's not afraid to shoot the shot. He seems to be capable sure. at putting the ball on the floor and getting to the rim, and he he's not a, he went right at Gobert like this is well, a rookie yeah. so going right at Gobert two games so far he's made a total of five shots it's not like he took over a game but right. all five of those shots all five of his makes so far were either uh, a straight up drive like a drive from the three point line were a couple of them or a three standstill three you know catch and shoot three. It's just, I mean, like, that's impressive stuff. The three, obviously, in his frame is impressive because it proves that, you know, th- this is a guy, he was really drafted um, for his shooting potential and, and how that outcome is going to affect the team's ceiling in the future. So he needs to shoot, I think, in order to be valuable in the NBA. Yeah. But um, but also, the, the, the even if it's a straight-line drive, the driving stuff is really not something I expected from him so early on. I didn't expect the burst. I didn't expect the strength. Um, and, and I didn't expect the kind of acrobatic type finishes once he gets in within 10 or 12 feet um, and, and drawing contact and finishing through contact. I think a couple of them were and ones. Yeah. Um, so small sample size. He even ran a pick makes. and roll. Only five makes. And that was the other one. Yeah, he, he ran a pick and roll. So just like, yeah, cool stuff from, from Jalen Smith on the offensive end. Here's where, can I get into the other side of the analysis? I know we're talking yeah. about positives, but but yeah. here's what we need to address about Jalen Smith, though. This was something that was brought to my attention by Durag Wallace. Um, great Twitter account. Great Suns fan to follow. his YouTube channel as well. Um, and I thought he said it best here on Twitter, talking to him tonight. The lack of staggered screens for Chris Paul when you start Jalen Smith at the four, um, as opposed to a guy like Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder or Dario Sarge, really stood out. Because Chris Paul led the league last year with the Thunder in staggered screens. It would be Danilo Gallinari comes over to set a screen, and then right behind him is Steven Adams. And the idea is you have one one roll threat and one pop threat at all times. Combined with Chris Paul is coming around that screen, ideally looking for his mid-range shot, you've got three options there to, to really choose from in your offense. And, and it really makes for a potent offense. When you put Jalen Smith in that position, he can hit those standstill threes, but it's really not something that we saw from the Suns offense at all tonight um, of just like trying to have Jalen Smith and DeAndre Ayton set a staggered screen together. Um, Jalen rolls out, or or, sorry, DeAndre rolls to the rim. Jalen pops out for three um, was not something that we saw. And and so it does make me question, um, are we not seeing it because Monty questions if Jalen really has the mobility to do that sort of stuff? Like, is it just kind of too complicated for him at this stage in his development? Um, but it is something that I think was very obvious. While it was admirable to see Jalen attack Rudy Gobert, 
um, and he did some really cool stuff offensively out of the four position, there are still those concerns about playing him there for long stretches of time for reasons like that. Just like, you know, some some like set design stuff yeah. that you can do with a Cam Johnson that you just can't do with, with Jalen Smith. Yeah, uh, if we learned anything from Cameron Johnson as far as how Monty handled him last year, it does not seem like he was even comfortable doing too much with Cameron Johnson early off movement as well. It was really just standstill and trying to space the floor as much as possible. And I don't like that personally. Like I would prefer that Monty Williams becomes a little bit more playful with that, but maybe they're seeing something in practice that you and I are not seeing. And and that's the reason they're not doing those types of things. But to me, you draft Cameron Johnson, you draft Jalen Smith. If you're James Jones, and that means that you want guys who can shoot off movement. I mean, that's clear to me that because that's one of their main skills coming out of college. Uh, so, you know, I hope they, they start to work a little bit more in that. I will say the staggered screen and roll for Chris Paul, something that I posted a lot of clips of online. If you guys would like to see that, I can probably retweet it sometime in the next day or two so you can see some of the stuff we're talking about. It helps a lot to see it. Um, Danilo just stood there. Like, really, you set mm-hmm. the screen and you stand. Because yeah. Chris Paul does all the work. So you can still run that with uh, Jalen Smith. You could run it with Jay Crowder. You could run it with uh, Cameron Johnson. You could do it with any of those. You could run it with Devin Booker, to be honest, setting that screen Absol- in the Gallinari place. absolutely run it with Devin Booker. So, I, they have before. And yes, uh, and, and I think they run. Um, they ran it with, with uh, Schroeder uh, screening in OKC. I, I tweeted a clip of that, too. So, you know, th- there's nothing really stopping them from doing it right now other than they didn't do it. And what, what I think will happen a lot going forward is Chris Paul is going to call the plays. Like, ultimately, he's going to say, hey, this worked really well for me. Let's do this. So they'll work some stuff like that in there. I will say with Jalen Smith, all of what he did on offense made me feel like he can be a power forward on offense. Like, the, nothing about what he did in this game said center. There is an element of if you're good at shooting, if you're good at attacking the closeout, it's even better at center, as we've talked about with... Uh, Dario Saric, but I think it's a little different with Jalen Smith where Dario's kind of slow. Like he's a little bigger. He's a little lumbering. Mm -hmm. Jalen Smith can be a little bit faster at that position, meaning that he won't necessarily be at some sort of disadvantage at the four. I did not focus in on Jalen Smith's defense in this game, but none of it really stood out to me as terrible at that position. And admittedly, you know, the Jazz are not quite the team that you want to judge that against, although they're all relatively good at the forward spot. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't have anything to say that it, he's completely out of sorts defensively at the four right now. But I, I will say just from the little bit I've seen, I could see why they think he could play the four so far. Like, I could yeah, see Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I think Joe Ingles is not the matchup to judge this against. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so like, I, I was, like he was guarding both. Right. I was I was looking at his defense tonight. I didn't see anything particularly awful. Um but Bogdanovich and, and mostly mostly Ingles, honestly. Um those are not the guys who are gonna punish Jalen Smith at the four spot. Yeah. Um so I'm not I'm not worried about it yet. I'm more worried about like what, what about when he goes up against like John Collins or something. You know, yeah. like there 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 are other four or or one of the three four tweener wings, you know, like what if he goes up against Kevin Durant or whatever, obviously. Yeah. But, but someone like that. Gallinari, someone like that is gonna kill kill any rookie, so it doesn't really matter. Um but the point still stands. He he wasn't awful defensively tonight. Nothing really stood out that was bad even. Um but probably yeah. not the matchup to judge. We do play the Lakers now, so I guess we're going to see him against Anthony Davis, maybe twice. Yeah, we'll see. I, I wonder who who on their team will play, and I wonder who on our team will play. Like it's difficult to really know at this point. Yeah. I doubt that the Lakers are going to play everybody, but we'll see. Uh, other thing that stood out for me before we get to on like the bigger picture of what we learned and things that didn't go so well, uh, Javon Carter, uh, very fun to watch. Um, I just think his effort brings up everybody else's he, he was even yelling at deandre ayton which i like uh i think a little bit of that fire is good we know um, you like yeah i love it uh i love javon carter but i will say this uh i'm not sure <laughs> about pressing as much as they are um i think that when you press as much as they are pressing if they break that press like if they get past that first line of defense it's kind of easy to score at that point. It's kind of a four on five scenario. 
it's difficult to break a press against Javon Carter, so I understand why he wants to do it. And I think a lot of it is player-motivated because Monty said the guys want to play this way. And I think Javon's capable of doing it. But at, in this game, I think they want to put two guys on that press. Uh, it's campaign and it's Javon Carter normally. And those guys pressing against guys on the bench is probably a, a good look most of the time. In this game, they had scenarios where it was Etwan Moore and Javon Carter. And that's just not a good look. You, you shouldn't press at that point. Yeah, unless these I, guys are capable of keeping up with it. Because those are the times where you're giving up threes. Ultimately, because guys will cut into the paint. And threes will open up at that point because you have to guard the rim. To DeAndre Ayton's credit, I think, pressing is not something... Like, the fact that they're willing to press as much as they are, it says something about the type of player Javon Carter is, because Javon Carter always yeah. wants to press. But it also says something about the, the level of faith that the Suns now have in DeAndre Ayton's ability as a rim protector. I really think it does. Um, you know, like, if Ennis Cantor was your starting center, you wouldn't press. <laughs> because, you know, the second they break that press, they have an easy bucket at the rim. So I think that is something that that stands out for DeAndre Ayton. Um, also, uh, well, I don't know. Do you want to talk about DeAndre Ayton or are we, are we putting it off? Yeah, let's take a quick break and okay. we'll come back and we'll talk about um, some stuff that needs to be worked on and maybe answer some questions if we have some time. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Last one from me. What were your overall thoughts on the way DeAndre played tonight? I just thought that the physicality, um, Gobert was really good tonight. And DA's got to enforce and impose his will. He's got to get in great shape so that he can be as dominant as he was in Orlando. And in moments last um, last season, um, uh, tonight I thought their bigs dominated the game. Um, even when we had a great possession of defense, we gave up an offensive rebound. Uh, DA and, and DJ got pushed under the rim tonight, and that can't happen. Uh, DJ uh, DeAndre is a physical force, and when he gets in great, great shape, he's going to show that. But tonight he did. I mean that is sending a message, right? That sounds like my sternly disappointed father when he finds out about my report card or something, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, I think he said it best. Uh, Rudy Gobert had 20 rebounds tonight. Did you notice that? Yeah. It's crazy. Close to the most he's ever had in a game. Obviously it's preseason. So none of it really matters. A lot of those rebounds were gotten were, he got them against Damian Jones, like in the third quarter, uh, you know, so it is what it is there. But, Monty Williams said it best. I mean, DeAndre Ayton got dominated tonight. He just did. Uh, he looked like a guy that was completely out of sorts. You know what he looked like? 
he looked like a guy who ate too much food right before the game. <laughs> and by that, I mean, he just looked like he was like a, a little bit slow, a little bit clumsy, a little bit yeah. out of sorts. It's like, I don't know. It reminded me of that scene in the office where Michael Scott eats like a whole plate of fettuccine Alfredo before he goes on a fun run. That's what right. DeAndre Ayton looked like tonight. It's just like a guy full of pasta and incapable of uh, being there on help defense, uh, rolling to the rim, no physicality with the guys. Look, we watched back-to-back Utah Jazz games. In one game, DeAndre Ayton literally was so strong, he shoved Gobert to the floor with mm-hmm. no call and was able to score on that play. In this game, he was setting screens for Chris Paul or Devin Booker, more with Devin Booker, and then just kind of softly walking towards the basket afterwards. Well, well, thank you for mentioning the first game, though, because I do think it's important to point out the issue here isn't DeAndre Ayton has had an awful preseason. No. He was he was pretty good in game one. It's just Absolutely. the inconsistency we're talking about. Game one, the physicality was there. Game two, it really wasn't. Now, before we dig into DeAndre Ayton a little bit more, I just want to remind fans... He actually wasn't that good last year in preseason. I just, you know, just for the record, uh, there was exactly the same thing that we're seeing now: inconsistency in the preseason, uh, inability to really go after guys and and take that contact. And just to be fair to him, he came out in the season, had one of his best games at the beginning of that season, suspended for twenty five games afterwards, obviously. But then he was really more consistent as the season rolled along. Mistakes here and there, obviously. Nothing as bad as what we saw tonight. I think this would this would have been one of his worst games of the season last year. Uh, and, you know, to be fair to him, that it's preseason. And, you know, some guys like Javon Carter, Devin Booker, uh, will constantly go 100% effort all the time, preseason or not. And maybe it's a little harder for a guy that's expected to take contact at the rim to go 100% all the time. I think that's a fair thing to say. But I think that the fact that it made his teammates mad you know, with Javon Carter yelling at him. And the fact that we, you know, kind of want to see the team at full strength. Even Monty said it. Like, you just said it. Monty sounded like a disappointed father. And he looked like one, too. You can see that video. Kellen Olsen tweeted it out. Uh, you can see that video. I mean, he looks disappointed. He looks like a guy who, who wants more out of his guys, and that's fair. Yes, preseason. All this is prefaced with that. Uh, but it was bad. It was a bad game for DeAndre. And, and, and he had a good game the game before, even without scoring a lot, because no Chris Paul. I just think he could be better, and I think he will be better. It's just the, the, the Carter thing was really the low light, right? Like, anytime yeah. you're arguing with Javon Carter about a defensive possession, chances are you're the reason for the breakdown, first yeah. of all. There's like there's like a solid 99% chance. Well, I mean, Javon Carter arguing. got run by, right? But Javon Carter sure. was trying to play defense, I think is the important sure. thing to see in that possession. Uh, no. Aiton wasn't. Aiton clearly had to rotate on that play. He was very clearly at fault. But... Yeah, it it was it was just the effort the 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 effort was not there. And the and the thing about it from a roster construction standpoint is like this team doesn't have an Aaron Baines figure or even a Rashawn Holmes figure anymore. Like Aiton needs that conditioning. He needs to bring it for thirty hopefully thirty two to thirty five yeah. minutes a night. Because if he doesn't for all the things that Dario Sarge can do at, at, at center, we like watching him at center, those are still small ball lineups. And he can't set the tone physically like DeAndre Ayton can. Damian Jones mostly looked like a golden retriever, you know, chasing <laughs> a tennis ball tonight. He he was helpless. He's I, active I think, at least. Well, yes, he's active, but like he's just he's just kind of moving his limbs and doesn't actually yeah. seem to have the motor control to know where they're going. So like he's not, you know, I think Damian Jones is a lob threat. I think he brings some of what say Rashawn Holmes did a couple of years ago, but I think he's still a very long way from even bringing that, which. It just makes it so much more important that DeAndre be the enforcer who brings it. Like we saw from him in, in preseason game one against Utah. He needs to be the guy who brings that physicality every night because if he doesn't, nobody nobody on this team can do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he has a very important role. It's just his role has shifted from year one or year two where we were thinking, hey, let's give you five or 10, 15 post-up dump-offs a game and, and see what you can do with the ball in the post. Now it's, we need you to be the defensive anchor to our system to bring that physical, aggressive tone. Because if you don't do that, frankly, the, you know they are in danger of losing a lot of games if DeAndre can't live up to that role. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was a preseason game. I think the good exactly. news <laughs> coming out of it with DeAndre Ayton was 
uh, Chris Paul took him to the side immediately after he went out for the final time and was on him. He was he was talking to him that entire time. It it did seem like after that run in the third quarter where the Jazz kind of put the game away for good that they wanted to get back in the game together. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. And uh, they did, and they looked a little bit better at that point. I think uh, it was a little too little too late because the Jazz just kept hitting shots over and over and over again. But I think the fact that they wanted to get back in the game was because they wanted to show something that they were talking about. They wanted to work on exactly what they were saying on the sidelines. Uh, for DeAndre Ayton, it's important that he's better than this. Ultimately, if he's this, if he plays like this, they're not. They might not even make the playoffs. That's that's the kind of scenario we're looking at here. Uh, but he won't. Already laying out the doomsday scenarios. <laughs> well, he after I mean, he game won't. two he won't of preseason. Like no, but yeah, I think. It I mean, this is the type of thing that Monty Williams will say to him, Ayton. Sure. If you play like this. We might not make the playoffs. That's that's what we're looking at here. Well, and, and let's just be honest. I'm not sure we've ever, because we didn't have an extended media day or media week, excuse me, discussion, um, right? We just kind of did our over-under episode and, and briefly talked about it. But the way that guys like uh, Devin Booker and James Jones and Monty Williams have all talked about DeAndre Ayton entering this season, like there there is sort of a clarity about it, right? Like, they're not handling this guy with kid gloves anymore. This is year three. The training wheels have come off, and they expect him to to bring a certain amount of professionalism every night. Um, and I, I, I just feel like you could sense in the interviews in year one and year two that there were certain things that they were making excuses for him. Those excuses aren't going to come uh, anymore, and you can already feel it from the fan base, but, but it's an added level of it now that you can see it in a guy like Monty Williams' answers to the media um, after this game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the main thing with DeAndre, the reason I think he's such a lightning rod is because he's huge and he's strong and he's fast. And I think when you're huge and you're strong and you're fast, a lot is going to be expected of you, (laughs) especially at his level of agility with his soft touch and his ability to get above the rim. I mean, you got it. You got to be engaged at all times. It's not just, uh, you know, getting the ball it's also rolling to the rim. It's also setting tough screens. It's also using your physicality on the roll to engage Rudy Gobert so that someone like Devin Booker, Chris Paul has an easier time scoring or gets a better lane to pass the ball to somebody else. Like there's a lot that has to do with making the team better. That won't necessarily show up in the stats that guys like us really, Sam, it's our job to point out to people so they can recognize how good you can be without necessarily putting up those stats. The best center in the league can average less than 20 points. I think we're at a point now where the best center in the league can legitimately average less than 20 points because of the amount of other things that centers can do on the floor and how important that is to winning ultimately. And that's the type of thing that Aiton needs to do. And and, and we'll see it, I think. Uh, The good news is I think we'll see it. And, you know, another good thing, Chris Paul's on the team now, like, how could you not listen to Chris Paul if he's giving you advice? I have a feeling that those things are going to make uh, the team better. Are there any sort of big takeaways from this? Like, are, are we learning? I think some of the stuff we talked about before, uh, there's probably still a hole at, at backup point guard. We probably need to see them staggered. You know, the lack of free throw shooting maybe is going to be an issue. You know, things that we're probably going to be talking about uh, going forward. Is anything else in this preseason sort of solidified any of those things for you? No, I think you just hit the nail on the head there. It's um, I think this team had a fantastic offseason. I still believe that, obviously. Um, but the one thing that really was kind of left missing from the table was that third guard type who could just create a little bit because the way the Suns offense is shaping up right now, and I know we haven't seen Jay Crowder yet, um, and we haven't really seen much of much of a we haven't seen any of Saric and we haven't seen much of Cam Johnson, but it's going to be stagger, stagger, stagger from here on out with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, um, which is just a little bit unfortunate because I really feel like when you open and close with them, you can assemble these lineups that are going to be the greatest offensive lineups in the NBA. So you want to play them together, but you know, if you got to do what you got to do, you know, if you're going to have these lineups in the early second quarter that score two points in a six minute span, then (laughs) eventually you have to stagger those two as much as possible. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, the, the good news is those two guys are really great, and it'll be really interesting to see them uh, sort of running the show on their own. Uh, let's switch over to some stuff that people are asking us. We don't have time. We've got quite a bit of comments on this 
tweet that we sent out about questions that we can cover. I say, Sam, let's let's alternate back and forth a little bit. Let's just choose one or two each uh, on this and talk about some of the questions. I will say, people uh, are down. <laughs> Yeah, this well, game I, I a little figured, more than I expected. I think I figured, and part of the reason I sent this tweet out, and I was, I just kind of wanted to see a gauge for like, well, how depressed are people right now? Um, and I don't think, I don't think they should be. Let's um, here's one. Can I start? Yeah, here's one from Sun Central. We didn't mention Mikhail Bridges once tonight. Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. a question: Can Mikhail double his point production this season? That's a lofty goal. It's a very lofty goal. Yeah. But the reason I bring it up is because I think it's interesting. Mikhail Bridges played 29 minutes tonight. He took 14 shots. That was not a typical thing to see from Mikhail Bridges last season. And he had 15 points. 15 points, two rebounds, an assist, two steals. Um, what do you think? Well, I think I'm glad we brought up Mikhail Bridges now before we forgot because I want to say defensively he's not quite Mikhail Bridges yet. Um, there just wasn't that sort of extra thing that he was doing on the floor that we saw earlier uh, last year. Um, And I imagine there's quite a few things there. There's uh, maybe getting back into shape and just sort of understanding his teammates. So I think he's going to get there defensively. He's too smart to not get there. Uh, But he's not quite the wing defender that we saw last season just yet in these two games, which is fine. I think that'll get notched up a little bit uh, going forward. Offensively, I think what I discounted was how many shots Chris Paul's going to get him. Because the combination of Chris Paul really getting deep into the paint and DeAndre Ayton sucking uh, another guy out into the paint is that the main beneficiary of that is likely going to be Mikhail Bridges. So if he can up his three-point percentage and, you know, those passes from Chris Paul might help that alone, I think that he will score more points. But the other thing that we saw in this game was a few screen and rolls by him where he was a ball handler. Mm-hmm. And multiple times he was looking for his own shot in a way that he wasn't before. So if he starts to do that, uh, I think we'll see some interesting things from him because if he's creating, essentially creating his own shot using a screen, we didn't see a lot of that. You know, usually he was looking for the big man on the roll. This time he was kind of getting his shoulder into the defender and shooting right over them, KD style. He's got the arms for it. He's got the length for it. Uh, you know, it's it, it could be... You know, I think we both or all three of us went under on the Mikhail Bridges points per game. I think we um, might. Yeah, I, I already think maybe we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I still, I still think there's just. I think unless there's an injury to someone else, I, I don't really believe the touches are there. But even for him to go from nine to thirteen would be a significant jump, and I think that's definitely doable. Um, so, so to answer the question and bring it back around to Sun Central's question, um, no, I don't think he's going to double his point production. But you can already see yeah. in these two games. We've seen multiple cuts in both games. Um, he's going to have so many cuts this year. So many. He shot eight threes tonight. Um, and like you said, there was even a stretch in the game where he was like, fuck, some, you know, someone has to create offense out here. And he went around and, and tried to create a couple shots for himself. Um, mm-hmm. He had a nice a nice mid-range shot, I think, in both of these first two games. Um, so I, I definitely think he's trending upwards. Um, and I think some of the offensive potential there is exciting. Um, but no, I don't think he's going to jump from 9 to 18. Uh, yeah. Obviously, that would be remarkable if he did. If Mikael Bridges That's jumped, if Mikael Bridges jumped from nine to eighteen points per game in his third season, like it doesn't matter what DeAndre Ayton does, I don't think. Yeah. You know, like DeAndre yeah. Ayton can never get any better, and and the Suns will have still figured it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's most most improved player award right there for Mikael Bridges. That's the type of leap that a guy like Pascal Siakam made. Um, Serge, our friend Serge said. Do you feel any less optimistic going forward? This is kind of the tenor of these questions, I think. Um, people are a little down after this game. Surprisingly, like I said, I've divorced myself entirely from wins and losses here, so none of that matters. And when Chris Paul was on the floor and the team had all NBA players on the floor, not Jalen Smith, you know, as good as we thought he was, it's it's more about what he's capable of doing, not necessarily what he did. <laughs> uh I love it. I, I'm very. I'm. I don't think I've changed my optimism at all after two preseason games of you. No, not really. I, I think it's easy to look at these two games and have the wind taken out of your sails just a little bit. And I understand if you're listening to this episode right now and you're not exactly getting the sense that we're jumping for joy, right? But like, Mike, I think you still mentioned Chris Paul's name, just kind of to to bring us back to our base here, like multiple times, maybe even three or four times throughout this episode. You you've just been like, yeah, we have Chris Paul. 
you know because he's just yeah. such a stabilizing presence and and if there's any if there's any floor raiser who you bet on after 16 years in the NBA now it's Chris Paul he's just one of those guys yeah. in the NBA where there's just no way that this team is going to be bad um, there's no way they're going to get blowout losses uh, routinely this season. Now, how good can they be? I think they are in danger of only finishing as an eighth seed if, if certain guys don't clean up their act, but I wouldn't say I'm any <laughs> less optimistic so far. Uh, I think what we were afraid of um, is exactly, I think, what's playing out so far, which is I brought up on the last episode who's going who's gonna to get draw free throws um, on the team, and we're seeing that. Uh, and the other thing was the backup point guard. As as much as we all like Cameron Payne, mm, that may be something that they try to fix at some point in the season. And by the way, there's some confusion, I think, on the dates that players can be traded. For the record, for those of you who are maybe looking on the trade market for uh, options, it's it's difficult for the Suns because a lot of the players recently signed contracts. So just for the record, anybody signed with early bird or full bird rights um, this is a complicated way to explain this, by the way, but just to explain when people can be traded. Anybody signed with early or full bird rights and whose first year salary is more than 120% of last year's salary can be traded on March 3rd. And anyone else who signed more, more recently can be traded February 6th. When's so I believe, the deadline this year? Do you know? Those are the dead. Uh, I don't know the actual deadlines for that. Uh, that's okay, probably okay. going to be sometime in like Mar- maybe late March. Uh, yeah, probably. that's interesting. It's so yeah. ingrained in my in my head that uh, yeah, Valentine's trade deadline basically. is like February, you know. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so it's a little different this year. So uh, you know, for uh, most of the players on the Suns can be traded February six. I believe the only one that falls into that first category is maybe Dario Saric, uh, possibly Javon Carter because they were signed with bird rights. But uh, I'm not entirely sure on that one because I don't know the details of their contract. Uh, but the main thing is everyone can be traded by March third. So if you're looking for options to trade, that's the option. Because I think if the Suns try to fix anything during the season, it's going to be another playmaker off the bench, someone like George Hill, someone we've talked about a lot. Uh, so if you're trying to fight, figure out how to trade for those guys and, and you're looking at the guys that we signed recently, March 3rd is the main date. Uh, so just a thought there. Uh, do you have another question that you picked out? Um, yeah, here's one from Cody Phillips. Uh, touches on the Aiden stuff from before. He says, "Is the issue with Aiden that he doesn't know what to do, or that he just doesn't want to do it?" Which I think is a funny way of, of phrasing. Um, um, he right. says, "I think it's the first, but it makes me wonder." I think that Monty Williams told us exactly what it was. He's out of shape. That was yeah, something think- that Monty Williams just told us. Right, and, you know, it's and it's not. Uh, to be honest, it's not necessarily that something I considered well, during this game that he was exhausted, and yeah, I think he was. To what to what extent is it reasonable for him to be out of shape right now? I guess it, you know, in comparison to his teammates, because we started off this episode being like they're all kind of out of shape, right? Yeah, it was a shortened it was a shortened training camp. Yeah, um, but I, I I I don't know. I feel weird about like going here, but. You know, do we get the vibe that DeAndre Ayton is as committed to his general workout and conditioning as, say, Devin Booker or Chris Paul? We just, I mean, there's no way. For How us many to know. people do you think are as committed as Devin Booker and Chris Paul, though? In just in the league in general, that's like the top ten yeah, percent. There's of the no league, way maybe. he is. There's no way he is. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think he is. And and you know what? A lot of big men aren't. <laughs> well, you know A lot of big men kind of play themselves into shape. Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Recently, you. Uh, Watch the JJ Reddick podcast. Fantastic episode with Chris yes, Paul. And I don't think good. we I don't think we've ever gotten the chance Mm-mm. to talk about it here. Um, but if for some reason you missed that, they only talk about the Suns for like the first fifteen or twenty minutes. But just terrific, terrific insight. Watching those two, they're they're old buddies, obviously. Um, but Chris Paul was talking about it took until he was twenty nine or thirty years old, and he went to the well, I guess a little bit younger than that, like twenty seven or twenty eight. Whenever he first went to LA and teamed up with Blake and JJ. And he was like that in year seven or eight or nine of his career, whatever it was, was the first time that he was around other dudes who were really as committed to the grind as he was hmm. and who were just about it all the time. Like he did, it, he, you know, it wasn't that he had to ask someone to do anything extra. It was just, it was just given. It was just a given that JJ Redick and, and Blake Griffin were working out, you know, at, at the same times as he was and putting in the extra work to, to learn the plays and everything. And obviously there's a tangible benefit that comes from that. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I do wonder if DeAndre Ayton is that type of guy or if he's more just right. sort of a go with the flow. And, and unless the coaching staff directly gives him an objective that they want him to work on, he doesn't actually have the initiative to, to seek it out himself. I and I can already hear him. what people are saying. Uh, they're saying Shaq played himself into shape, which is true. I think that's a fair thing to say. But yeah, or you know like, who hated it? Kobe. He yeah, or like it. Dwight Howard. <laughs> Dwight Howard's made a 16-year, however many years he's been in the league, a Hall of Fame career, just won a ring, out of being this just tremendously, tremendously talented player who at one point anchored a team both offensively and defensively, an NBA Finals team, even if they didn't win. Um, No one's going to doubt Dwight Howard's talent, but could he have been a little bit better if he worked himself a little bit harder, took him more seriously? And and that's exactly J.J. Redick was was, um, a former teammate of Dwight Howard. So J.J. Redick, when he was saying... Um, I'm sorry, I confused it when I told the story. It wasn't Chris Paul who said that. It was J.J. Redick when was, he went. Yeah. yeah, sorry. When J.J. Redick went to the Clippers, he said being around Chris and Blake, those were the first yeah. guys he noticed. So J.J. Redick previously had played with Dwight Howard. Dwight was not one of those guys. And look how J.J. Redick has extended his career. as a guy who can barely play defense uh, just from his physical limitations and still in the league and still a pretty good player, ultimately, like a guy who's still pretty productive um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's a fair point, and I think Monty pointed it out for a reason. He he specific. Ultimately, this is Monty Williams's version of calling a guy out in po- in a post game interview and saying that he's out of shape. He's not going to do it like a like a football coach in college and call a guy out like explicitly. He's going to say, I think when DeAndre Ayton is in great, great shape, he's going to dominate these guys. And really, what's what would be the point of him doing that, right? There's like no point. In a point. preseason loss, Especially there would with be no point in that. What, what, Monty has a, a productive leadership style <laughs> in what he's right. doing. Um, the direct call-outs are unnecessary. And I think I've we've talked about probably uh, unproductive, I think, with millennials <laughs> or Gen Zers in the first place. Wouldn't exactly be effective. Yeah. I, I Well, I think Ayton... He doesn't like being yelled at. <laughs> I, I don't really Neither don't do he, I. Neither yeah. do I. Yeah. Uh, I get it. But yeah, I, I, so to Cody's question, ultimately, is the issue with Aiden that he doesn't know what to do or that he doesn't want to do it? I think it's a combination of both those, but ultimately it is he does know what to do, but he's tired sometimes and he doesn't want to put the effort in to do it when he's a little bit tired. And, and, and I, I'll be honest, that's kind of hard for us as guys who are watching on TV to ultimately recognize, you can kind of look at things a little bit and, and recognize it. But Monty Williams, who's looking at him in the face and can see him right there in front of him is able to recognize those things. And I don't think he would say it in that post game interview if he didn't believe it. Now, if you and I said it, I think we would get a little bit different of a reaction online than if Monty Williams said it to be fair. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, that, I thought that was a really interesting thing to say. Let's see. Somebody asked, what's a bigger issue? This is from a guy named Reformed Suns fan. What's a bigger issue? Our starting five defense or our bench offense? It's absolutely our bench offense, right? Because we haven't even really okay. seen our starting five <clears throat> defense. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Although, I, uh, you know, Monty did have a good point. The Suns really worked hard to um, close the gap at the end of the first half. And then the Jazz yeah. went on like what a 10-0, 13-0 I think it was run. 14-0. Yeah, yeah, really bad. I mean, that just opened up the game in the third quarter. Um, so the transition defense was really bad. I think you were right when you touched on it earlier. Mikhail Bridges just hasn't he hasn't been Mikhail Bridges yet. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't any one obvious scapegoat there. I don't think so. I still, you know, I would default to saying the the bench offense is in a much we more started dire... Jalen Smith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we started Jalen Smith, but, but we're even, not starting Jake but, Crowder yet. Exactly. We started Jalen Smith, but like I want to specifically be like, but Jalen Smith wasn't the reason why. Like he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Yeah, that's bad. a good point. But... He wasn't bad. We started Jalen Smith, but even Jalen Smith wasn't the reason that that the wheels fell off the wagon. Just to really put a point on what's missing, the most valuable, most important thing in the NBA, in my belief, is a shot creator capable of creating shots from anywhere on the floor for himself and for others. That's the most valuable thing. The Suns have two of those guys, but they're so both like, in the starting lineup. Yeah, so like 10 guys in the league. In yeah, total. there's not a ton of those guys. Those guys are the ones that, to me, no question max guys every single time. If somebody is incapable of doing that specific thing, 
I think you have to have a conversation. You have to question whether or not they're worth the max, period. They might still be, for the record. They might be so good at other things that that doesn't matter. Uh, like someone like Ben Simmons, for example. But if they're not good at that, then you have to at least wonder if that's I the mean, right way to allocate your cap. But the right, reason I bring that up is sure. if the bench is missing a guy who can't do that. Now, admittedly, I'm not talking about at the all-star level, but at a level enough to keep the bench afloat, that's going to be a problem. Someone that we've talked about is Alec Burks as an example. Alec Burks is not a max guy, obviously, but he can do all of those things at a level that makes him a valuable piece on the bench. The Suns don't have a guy that's necessarily right. capable of creating for himself and for others on that bench right, right. now. Like and Langston Galloway, Langston Galloway is a much better um, off-screen and spot-up shooter than Alec Burks, but he can't. He just can't dribble like Burks can. I, hey, I love shooting. Um, Those guys are great offensively. No, and I, I think that's and why that's you asked exactly, this question. That's exactly what I was trying to get at earlier. Just throwing Javon. It doesn't matter if Javon Carter, Etwan Moore, and Langston Galloway all shoot forty percent from three this year. If you put them in the same lineup together, it is a recipe for failure. Unless yeah. one of those guys can take a leap that we're not expecting, because none of them gets to the Absolutely. free throw line. None of them are going to average a lot of assists. They have this magnifying effect when you put them next to Chris Paul or Devin Booker, but. As we've said a million times, and as we're going to continue to say, if Devin Booker or Chris Paul, A, misses significant time with an injury, or B, they just, you can't stagger them 100% of the time, so you find yourself a few minutes per game without them, um, it's going to be trouble. It's going to be trouble for, but, for the way the roster is currently constructed. Although, the disclaimer is I want to see Dario Saric back in the lineup, yes. because I do think he could be a good, a, a good everyone, he could go a long way towards fixing it. Everyone, uh, just for the record, for those who are ultimately worried about this team after this game. I just want you to really think about how things fall into place when everyone is healthy. Jay Crowder is now in the starting lineup. That defense is absolutely ridiculous in that starting lineup. Cameron Johnson, Dario Saric are now on the bench. Those guys are absolute... First of all, they're really close friends and have good chemistry on the court, which I think is good. Uh, but also, they're good enough to start and they're coming off the bench. Cameron Payne, for all he struggled in that starting role... He's not a starting point guard. He thrives if he's a backup point guard. He, he's going to do a lot better against backup defenses. That means that you put him back into that spot. Everything makes a little bit more sense. This team needs to get healthy quickly before the season starts. And if they're healthy when the season starts, everything is going to make a lot more sense. Yes, injuries can throw it all into whack, out of whack a little bit. But there is enough depth that they can sustain a little bit of injuries throughout the season. What's important is that they all get healthy before that starts, and I think they will be. I'm not super worried about that. I'm a little worried about COVID ultimately. If I want to, if we're being honest here, uh, because that's I think something that's going to affect every team a little bit this season, uh, and the Suns particularly. If they have multiple guys missing ten games in a row, that's going to be a disaster. So hopefully, nothing like that happens. Uh, but once everyone's healthy, everything makes more sense. So let's not get too too worked up about this just yet. Uh, for those people that asked the question. In fact, let's end on a different question. Uh, someone named LaFontaine said, how good is Ted Lasso? Guys, it's so good. You should watch Ted Lasso. If you I have seen the, the ability to watch Ted Lasso, watch Ted Lasso. It's great. <laughs> Any other points that you want to make before uh, we end this episode, Sam? No, I don't think so. Uh, let's gear up for a couple good games against the Lakers. Hopefully yeah. they, they reel out a win. Yeah. Um, at least one victory in preseason would be nice. Not that preseason matters, but, you know, we do hey, want to see the I'll Suns honest, win. I'd rather have two fully healthy teams playing each other and playing their guys at least a little bit than win. I want to see how this team looks against that team. They're going to be yeah. completely, un, you know, it's not a good matchup for them regardless, even if they're fully healthy, being that the Lakers just came off a championship and the Suns have barely played together at all. But I still would like to see it. It is refreshing that despite the two losses, I have enough optimism about this team that like going into a matchup against the Lakers, if, if these two teams are at full strength, I know that the Suns are outmatched. However, it does not seem far-fetched that they, they can win a game. Like it just doesn't. In a way where like even last year, once the Suns had met the borderline competent level, it was still like, okay, this is a scheduled loss. We're playing the Lakers. Yeah. Or, you know, this is probably a scheduled loss. We're playing the Clippers or the Bucks, even though I know we did beat those teams <laughs> yeah. a couple of times. We we tend to play those teams strangely pretty it's, well. It's not um, a good idea to play Chris Paul when his pride is on the line. <laughs> right, exactly. He's going to try to kill you. Some great facial reactions from Chris Paul already. Um, <laughs> good close-ups. I might have to, like, log my favorite, you know, screenshots throughout the season of just, like, 
Chris Paul being angry at a ref because uh, only two preseason games so far, and I've definitely seen some great contenders. Something I've realized on this uh, podcast is uh, I don't think people are fully realizing my obsession with point guards. They're about they're about to realize it. I think uh, as much as I loved Ricky Rubio. Chris Paul is like everything I love about basketball. So get ready for me to be absolutely praising him every single podcast, every single week. I'm very excited about it. Oh, but that's that's the game. It's not just me talking, book talking, Jay Crowder talking, coach talking. Uh, That's the way you become a team. You know, you don't just get to put it on paper and say it's going to be this, it's going to be that. we got to build. And so communication is the way that you build. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.